The following episode of Fofop is rated MA. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR-type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Welcome to Fofop. Uh, I am Will Anderson and guest Charlie, number one. Ooh. It's a Dofop. Dave Anthony is back. Hi. How are you? <laughs> that look on your face. I didn't is... know it was going to be me. What, 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 <laughs> what are you? Oh, okay. What, I wondered what you were so distracted by. There was a look of genuine surprise, like either your recording had stopped or something had gone seriously wrong or you just received like a video message that said, once you've seen this ring, you're going to die within a week. Like there was real sense of... The, the one thing you weren't prepared for was the start of this podcast. Yeah, no, uh, you know, I had no idea that that's what we were doing. I thought we were just hanging out and talking, and all of a sudden you started to pop. Do people know that you sandbag people? You're like, you're like, hey, let's have a chat, and all of a sudden that you're just throwing out that you're doing a podcast. It's really off-putting that you would do What's this. What's the to- point of wasting chats? <laughs> like, I just like to put some pressure and expectation. It's not so much. Some people are like, oh, you must think that all your friends are so brilliant that everything you say to each other should be recorded and broadcast. That is not what I think. That is not what I think. What I know about my friends is they don't waste their good stuff when it's not rolling. And so basically, if you're not recording a conversation with a comedian, that is a very shit conversation. Well, actually, there's two types of conversation. There's a really defamous one where they badmouth everybody that we know and love for a little while. That one's a fun one, but we can't record record and broadcast that one. Off the record, yep. That's more your little dum-dum club That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Step on their toes. Yeah. Um, But then there's just the usual boring conversations that aren't worth recording. So I, I, I find when that sort of red light goes on, the standard of conversation I'm getting from my friends goes up. That's all I would say. That's fair. Yeah, I, I agree with that analysis. And uh, look, there's some things that we bring our A game for, and we do it on the podcast, and then sometimes we sit around and we hold stuff back when we're in a normal conversation now. Podcasts have really fucked up mm. uh, <laughs> comedians' <laughs> yeah. relationships with each the other. Way they communicate <laughs> with each other. <laughs> there is a whole bunch of... Like, I think... It, almost needs to be we need to re-establish some rules because podcasts are a little like the tinder hookup culture of conversations it's very much get to the house you know grab something to drink and then we actually start talking really in depth but there's no foreplay that's right and i think maybe we we have to go back to instituting a little bit of romance back into the podcast relationship you're like yeah we'll do the podcast but let's go to lunch <laughs> And once we're done with lunch, maybe if you feel like it, you can come back to my place. Maybe if you feel like it, there'll be a couple of microphones there. Hey, we don't have to talk in those microphones. Yeah. I don't want to rush you into a podcast, but if you're feeling like a podcast I feel and you like give one. some like open verbal consent to some podcasts and I give some open verbal consent to a podcast, yeah. knowing that at any stage during the podcast, you can withdraw that consent. You can walk right. away at from any the podcast. time. At any time, you can say, "I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not feeling this. Actually, right. isn't what I was looking for. Uh, I thought I would be into it. I'm not. Um, it's not you. I'm that just in a weird fine. place. Exactly. You know what? If you, if you if you want me to turn off the mics and we can just have a conversation, that is fine. Yeah, that's fine. Let's I just mean, sit on the couch and have an look, unrecorded conversation. I just didn't know until we started podcasting that I, you know, I'm. I guess I'm not ready for podcasting. Like I just got to have an old podcast. And and now that I'm doing a new one, it just it's not. I just I guess I'm just not ready. It's hard. You know what? When I'm podcasting with you, I'm never thinking of anyone else. Though I need you to know that that's fine. And I'm sorry I started crying when we were podcasting. It's just <laughs> it was just a lot. When I had to see Charlie. It was like a, a toe pop when I had to sit Charlie down and go. I'm thinking of bringing a third into our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I just think we should open up and start. Maybe we could podcast with with other people. people, You know, I think if we podcast with other people, then we'll enjoy podcasting with each other even more. It'll make what we have so much more special. And sometimes, you know what? Sometimes you don't want to 
in a podcast with you, you don't want to do stuff that I want to do in podcasts with that's other right. people. That's right. That's right. And that's cool. I want like to talk cool about movies. You never want to talk about right. movies. So I can go over <laughs> and do a movie podcast and then I come back and I'm like, and then we can talk about everything. We can do everything else. I mean, seriously, I wasn't even in the same room with them. Like it was a Zoom podcast. It's, I was recording my own audio separately at my own end. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not even that intimate. It's not that intimate, and it's not like it's a really intense conversation. I mean, look, I, if I'm being honest, I paid. I paid to podcast. I paid 100 bucks to get a podcast. Right. <laughs> anonymous. With an anonymous podcast, right? <laughs> Did not give their real name. <laughs> Tommy Dasselow. Again, it was Tommy Dasselow. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, you have been, I mean, you're doing obviously the dollop at the moment. You're doing yeah. the West Wing thing yeah. at the moment. Um, doing. I've been hearing you appear on a whole bunch of other podcasts. I have been doing. Potentially, I've been doing more and more podcasts. Uh, yeah, I've been saying yes more and more. And what's that about? Why are you saying yes more than more? Um, I don't know. I just decided. I just decided to start because I've always had people ask me a lot. I've I ninety percent, ninety five percent of the time I say no. I don't know. I've just been like maybe it's time to just start, you know, getting out there more and letting people know because I want to. I'm, I'm going to start doing stand up again. I've done a couple of sets and um, I just. What are you talking helpful. about? What am I talking about? Um, a little bit about how dumb America is. Um, <laughs> A little bit about that. What else did I talk about? I talked about uh, I talked about cutting my cable. Finally, I've been talking about that. I found the cut my okay, cable. So you mean getting getting rid of? That's not like a euphemism, right? You no, no, had, it's like, not a euphemism. Converted at all. to Judaism and had like a you know, it's like I finally cut my cable. I cut. I'm just using apps now. Like I I realize I only I I really am all, I'm mostly just watching sports. I watch some TV shows at night. Um, I'm hardly watching movies at all. So, uh, so yeah, so I realized, well, I'm only watching apps. I, and I asked my wife, I go, how when was the last time you watched TV? And she was like, six months ago. I was like, yeah, we should get rid of the cable because no one is watching it in this house. So we got rid of it. it it's, in, it's interesting, isn't it? The, like the idea that that style of television still exists. Yeah. That, you know, particularly in this, like dial-up world, what is the appeal of cable television? Because even all the networks and individual shows, like there's, there's, there's nothing that's going to be really cable exclusive that you're only ever going to be able to find on cable. So is it just for people who don't know how to like sign up to things yet? I, or is it for people who just want to sign up to one thing rather than sign up to like 10 or 15 different things? Yeah, that I think annoying, that's it. Particularly, I, yeah. And then you have one thing you try to sign in. It's like, oh, we signed you out. Can you sign in again? You're like, oh, I got to go through the four steps and uh, do my QR yeah. code. And, what, and then and you have to change your password. Yeah. And then suddenly I have a series of passwords Pass, yeah. for all these accounts yeah. that are slightly different <laughs> because one of them right. needs an exclamation point <laughs> yeah. or something. And now, uh, <laughs> you know what? Justin was asking me the other day, he's gone, have you seen um, yeah, Loki on Disney Plus? And I said, no. And I couldn't remember why. And I went to sign into Disney Plus and then remembered my TV signed into my American iTunes <laughs> so I can't sign into Disney Plus from like fucking... And I was just like, that's why I haven't signed into Disney Plus. Sorry, Loki. Whatever's happening with you, mate, it's going to happen in secret in my life because I cannot go through the process of signing up to Disney fucking Plus. Yeah. I mean, there's there, there have been times I tried to sign in on something and I couldn't. And I go, well, I just, I guess I'm not watching that because the effort it would take the 10 minutes of just trying to figure out what to do and who to talk to. And I just, I'm not interested at all. I tried to, I, when I cut my cable, the only thing I really have been getting into a lot is college baseball. And I have an app on my TV for that, the ESPN app. And then when I cut my cable, then ESPN was like, well, now you don't have a, now you don't have a provider. And I was like, I do have a provider. And they're like, oh, right, you do have a provider, but you're not paying through that provider. And I'm like, I, yeah, because I canceled it. And they're like, you're still your provider. So I, I, I had to go through a bunch of hoops. I had to call them up directly and get like old school customer service. I'm talking to the ESPN app. I'm just like, can you help me out? And they eventually figured it out. But it was like, well, you have to completely delete that one. And then you can do this. That was the only thing that got really complicated and was really stressing me out because I had baseball to watch that day. Okay, so 
What's the appeal of college baseball? Explain this to, I mean, firstly. Uh, My original sentence should be this. What's the appeal of baseball? But let's add in that extra word. What's the appeal of college baseball? Okay, so... So here, so college, so you guys don't have this in in um, take the AFL. You have do they have minor league? T- do they have a team under the main team that plays other teams? Is there like a minors in? Yeah, well, there's yeah. So in each state, they have their state league. So for example, my team, the Western Bulldogs, yeah. they have a team. They have a team in the VFL, which is the Victorian State League. Okay, and like. There will be other AFL teams that have... They don't all. It's not like a uniform thing. There are some random teams in that league that don't play in the AFL and vice versa. But normally you have a feeder club. Even if yeah. you're not called the same thing, you're aligned with another club that is your feeder club. Yeah, so uh, so what if besides that, at, co- at, at universities, because universities had to make money because this government wasn't paying for them, what if what if there are, there's this side hustle of a university and the university's like look it turns out the best way we can make money is by having sports teams because then alumni want to throw money at us and even above that like we sell shirts we you know we can do all kinds of stuff to make money and so they created they created leagues and the way baseball started was in in the 1800s it was very common for a school to have a league and a even a fucking pub and like everyone had their own little thing going on. So they just kind of developed that way. So college ball is really like good baseball. There's some very high caliber baseball being played. A lot of these guys are going to go on to be on professional teams. A lot of them won't, but there's some really great players. If you did, if you did the minors, right? The, I think you called the BFL. If in baseball, if you went to the minors, a lot of them don't care about winning. They're just there to develop uh, their skills and right, like to get to the next level, get to the next level. So they, it's yeah. cool if they the win. The competition is less important than the fact that they need to develop their skills to play in the major league. Yeah, absolutely. So in college, they live, breathe, and die for winning. Like these these guys just want to fucking win, and and they have four years to do it, and they get one shot at it. And there's a college World Series, which you know I'm, I'll admit it doesn't make sense. They're not playing colleges from around the world. They're just playing colleges within the country. And eight teams get invited. After two losses, you're out. And right now, they're Stanford is playing Vanderbilt on my television. And, uh, and one of them is going to lose tonight, and they will be out of the World Series. And, so, and because the play is so good, it's really fun to watch. And the big difference is the MLB has been destroyed, just obliterated by, by idiot businessmen. Like, it's just... It, it's. I think it's the greatest example of a sport being destroyed by capitalism that has ever, ever existed. Like, I think you can make an argument for it. It's, it's, I mean, people, even people who five years ago were calling me an asshole for saying that are now like, oh, no, it's so fucking hard to watch. Like, I can't watch it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I, you, did, you should have one of those cards. <laughs> Um, you know, like the, like people who are differently abled sometimes will carry around a card that explains their behavior. So like they might, in the Joker, to use the example, like he had that laugh and he had a card that he handed people um, about that laugh. And you should have a card that just says, I may be really annoying you right now, but in five years from now, you'll realize I was right. This is yeah. just me. This is what I do. Yeah. I see it. I just I just watched it coming, and I was like, do you guys all see what they're doing? They're changing the rules a little bit, but it's going to catch up to them. It's going to be really bad. I mean, they basically made it. The game now is hit a home run, strike out, or walk. That's that's the game of baseball okay. in the major leagues. And in the, and in the college, it's not that. It's bunt. It's get a single. It's steal a base. There's a lot more going on. Um. And so it's more fun. I think it's more fun to watch. They also get to show their emotions more. Like they scream and yell and they hit a home run and they put on a crazy hat and they jump around. And like, it's more like, yeah, okay, you guys are having a good time. Yeah, it's a game. It's still a game game. at that level. Yeah. Right. Okay. So tell me about the, so the American college system, I understand the economics of it and the appeal that it has for the colleges. Uh, 
is it rare in baseball? Is it even able in baseball that you just skip going to college? Like, can you go in as a, can you be a talented enough 17 year old or 18 year old that you can go straight out of high school into the major leagues? Not into the major leagues, but you can get drafted into the minor leagues and then you will, if you're a number one pick, you will go. Like, the kid that's going to get picked this year is from East Lake High School in. LA and he is a he's a shortstop and every major league team is like okay that's the kid we all want him he's going to be the number one pick he'll get 10 million dollars as a 17 year old and then he'll go into their minor league system learn the next level of baseball which is really hard it'll take him about four years probably to get to the majors okay so what would be the youngest person playing in the major league at the moment like what's the, who who would like how young would be the youngest that of any other player i mean usually there's a usually there's a 20 year old usually there's like one 21 year old right. this guy for washington might uh saw this is the other thing is i'm now that i'm not paying attention so this is my second two and a half years of not paying attention to baseball i don't know who anybody is anymore I, I really have, I really have no, like there'll be people will be talking about people on the giants that I used to follow. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know who that is. That's a guy. He sounds good. Like he's, he's pitching well. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> so it's very strange in how two and a half years you, you can just completely not know anything about any of the players anymore. But I mean, it's also a great example of how these things aren't actually important. They're only important because we decide they're important. And the minute that you actually yeah. like completely lose touch with that and think that this thing is important and you live and breathe by like, that's fine if that's something you need and want in your life at that time. But it's not true. It is yeah. a game. It is grown men playing a children's yeah. game for millions of dollars. And that's all it is. Yeah, that's absolutely all it is. So there's there's like there's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight guys who are twenty one and two. That's the youngest okay. in the leagues right now. Yeah, so I have I had stopped watching I stopped watching the NFL in the mid nineties and like I every Sunday, my entire Sunday was watching football and then Fox took over I mean, they were doing stuff like putting sound effects in when guys tackled each other, and and too many no. and too many commercials. That, and that I, is not a real thing. Oh no, no, they added sound effects. There was a game when people tack. No, that is yes. not true. Yes, that can absolutely. You know, like funniest home video style. You you know who Rupert Murdoch is, right? He can ruin anything. Hang on, but even Rupert Murdoch, like even they, if Rupert Murdoch himself came into the Fox Football office and he just said. <laughs> Here's my personal idea. I want you to when the tack when the huge humans tackle each other at high speed and incredible velocity in yeah. one of the most dangerous sporting events that you can do in the entire world. I think what we need to really bring that point home is some sound effects. <laughs> You, you guys, you guys ever sat on a whoopee cushion? Because it is hilarious. So, I'm suggesting mostly so, fart noises. So, <laughs> fart noises would have been amazing. I would have watched that. Just Did every, you see that tackle? every that player is assigned a different fart, and they have like a little <laughs> fart board, and as they tackle each other, a different fart comes out. <laughs> Um, so it happened for half a game and I happened to be watching that game and it was like it, me and my friend were just watching and like, this is the worst thing I've ever. And, and then they stopped it at halftime. They must've had so many complaints <laughs> of people be like, why is there a car crash sound when a guy tackles <laughs> another guy? Like, <laughs> like. It was amazing to watch. It's amazing it made half a game. How does that get through the meetings? <laughs> I just want like that's a dollar. I mean that's a like that that's a like six part NPR podcast series. Like I want someone to do a deep dive and do oh. like a an oral history how? of how that half an hour. Like I mean what a documentary. <laughs> like ESPN or whatever, get on to this because you could literally show the half of the game where it happened and the entire decision-making process up to that point. And then, of course, the great drama of somebody realizing it was a terrible idea finally. Somebody oh, who should yeah. have said that, who had six different opportunities to raise that red flag, finally decides, hang on, we cannot do this in the second half. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting a lot of calls. 
Uh, we've never gotten this many calls. It's uh, it's a lot of call, and people usually don't know where to call, but people are calling us. They're figuring it out. Yeah, wow. it's. Uh, I don't know, and they also had like. I mean, I, this stuff, this kind of stuff, might be more uh, normalized now. But like, I remember they had like these two robots that would like play football and, and the animation sort of thing before, and they'd be going to be like tag- for commercials, and I'd be like, "What in the fuck is this shit? Is it not? It, did, did we need something better than just two guys tackling each other? Making, we need robots, uh, animated robots. It was just all this shit. And I was just like, "What about just football, man?" Um, uh, so I. I'm going to watching. tell you just like quickly a little story because you always reminded of this story uh, because the idea that the sound effects only made it halfway through the show. There was a famous incident in Australian television that I think you will enjoy. So uh, there was a guy by the name of Doug Mulray. And Doug Mulray was one of those, before stand-up comedy was really a thing in Australia or like, you know, a, a popular thing, he was the, like one of those last old school radio stars. Like, like yeah. Would have been a great comedian and all those sort of things. Incredibly quick-witted, could do characters, like really quite, you know, raunchy and out there and, you know, provocative for radio at the time. You know, sort of a legendary figure at the end of radio's glory days. And never really translated to TV, didn't really have a TV look, but, you know, got thrown opportunities because his radio show was so successful. He'd occasionally get an opportunity to to host something. Everybody would always be looking like, how can we get this guy who's funny on the radio on television? And yeah. so he ended up in uh, the year 1992 hosting a show called Australia's Naughtiest Home Videos. Oh, now, yeah. I'm going to give you a little uh, story here. Australia's Naughtiest Home Videos is an Australian television comedy program that was broadcast on Nine Network, 3rd of September, 1992. It was a one-off special spin-off of Australia's Funniest Home Video Show, depicting videos of sexual situations and other sexually explicit content. The program was notable because it was taken off the air partway through the broadcast of its first and only episode (laughs) by the order of network owner Kerry Packer. (laughs) Didn't make it through the first episode. Kerry Packer, the owner of the Nine Network at the time, was informed of the show's content by friends while having dinner. He tuned in to watch the show, which was being broadcast, and was so offended by its content that he phoned the studio operators and angrily shouted, get that shit off the air. Uh, I want to be. I want to be at that dinner. I want to be when he gets the call from Margaret, and she's like, "Oi, you got to look what's going on here." <laughs> and he walks over his TV and turns it on. He's got that big old remote, and just his face. The day after the special, oh, how's this? The day after the special aired, a furious packer showed up at Nine's headquarters and held meetings in which he loudly berated Nine's managers and censors, referring to the program as disgusting and offensive shit. After these meetings, Mulray and many of the staff who were involved in the creation of the special were fired, with Mulray also being banned for life from Channel 9. <laughs> <laughs> A lifetime ban! <laughs> Oh my God, that's amazing! That could have only have made him a bigger star. Uh, on his radio show the next morning, Mulray commented, "I am the first man in Australian history to be pulled off by Kerry Packer." That's kind of an example of the sort of humour uh-huh. that Mulray was running. Yeah, with. no, there he is. Uh, Chris Noble, the network's drama and entertainment chief, hid the original tape in the archives of the network's oh. Willoughby studio. So. It, the tape don't still know. exists. It's just hidden somewhere in the archives. Oh, s- somebody, if you work in the archives, go get it. Just get make a copy and send it, to, send it to me, send it to Will. We'll take care of the rest. Wow. Somebody dig that out. That is That has to be seen by the Australian public. And I bet it would be so fucking tame today, right? You're talking 92? Oh, absolutely. It would be... Yeah, absolutely. Like, you'd show your kids. You'd be like, oh, you finished this season of Bluey? Have a look at Uncle Doug and his new TV show. It's about camels rooting. You'll love it. You'll make some joke about humps. 
So you can make some jokes about, well, they've got, they've got an extra hump. There you go. Good on you, Uncle Doug. I wonder if they, so he probably wasn't at the meeting when the Packard, is that his name? Packard Packer. came in. Harry Packard yeah, was. Packard. Carrie. Yeah. Is that a guy or a, uh, is that a guy or a, a It's lady? a guy. Yeah, it's we only let men be in charge of things back in those days. It's totally understandable. Now, but as Kerry as Packer you can see, was that's the only thing that works. <laughs> one of the richest men in Australia. In fact, there was a time where sort of Rupert Murdoch and Kerry Packer were probably equivalent in being media icons. It was just more Kerry. Rupert had gone international and Kerry sort of stayed and ran Australia. Or if Rupert ran the newspapers, Kerry ran the TV stations. Ah, uh, right. Know, that sort yeah, of yeah. idea. And he was, Channel 9 was the, the number one network on television and he you know, was this, yeah, absolute, like sounds like an absolute nightmare of a person. Like, you know, one of those things where people who work for him talk, you know, talk about, you know, when people tell stories as if they're, oh, it was great. I went into his office one day and I was trying to negotiate for like a raising salary and he like opened the drawer of his desk and he brought out a gun and he pointed the gun at me and said, there's your negotiation. Oh, he was so fun. And you're like, hang on, no, he's a monster. That's like he's definitely a, that's against a psychopath. the law. That's like, this is not a fun story. You're like suffering with like years of trauma. You've compartmentalized something yeah. that was a really horrible experience into what you think is a pleasant anecdote it is not are you okay do you want to hug <laughs> like yeah this is the 80s and 90 and early 90s stories where you just tell the whole, most horrible thing and people are like no that's that's not that's not a crazy offbeat man that's a psychopath and you're yeah. like no well, he was fun his son is a is a you know australian billionaire so again it was so Lachlan Murdoch and Jamie Packer were kind of even friends, I think, at one stage. Might have even had a business together. You know, they were kind of the next generation of Australia's richest people. And um, and, and James sold out of the media network and went into casinos and had a range of issues, like, around mm. his involvement in casinos. Who wouldn't know? And there were some ethical issues around yeah, how casinos weird. Usually, were run. Yeah, I've never heard of that. And a casino. Uh, dated Mariah Carey. Uh, James Packer, that was famously oh. dated Mariah Carey for a while. Um, feels like a, like, I mean, hard to feel sorry for someone who was born into billions, right? Like immense yeah. privilege. But so many of the the ways his life is playing out are quite sad. And almost all of them, the way that it's sometimes reported, I actually feel a little, a little sorry for him because there is part of me that's just like, this is the kid who was never good enough for his dad. Like there are so many yeah. documented times of him just essentially like Packer just bringing Jamie in and just berating him and telling him he was no good and stupid. And you can just like oh. this yeah. horrible, horrible man. It's Kevin like, Packer. that's like straight, that's straight out yeah. of a movie, that shit. You're like, that. that's, that's like. But also this is the real. guy who's like, oh, you know, two camels having sex. That's disgusting. But you know, the fact that I am like pointing a gun at one of my employees in a salary negotiation. Fucking hilarious. <laughs> That's fine. What a character I am. What a big <laughs> and fun character I am. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. good. Those are good times. Just, you made a poo joke a... on my network. I mean, I destroyed my family's <laughs> life by having a range of affairs and hor- horribly treating my children and ruining their lives as well for my own fucking ego. Anyway, what you're doing, Doug Murray, is disgusting. You're better. Yeah. from Channel 9. You can't I come mean, into camels. this place where I point a gun at your head in contract negotiations. <laughs> Take that. Imagine imagine how quiet it was the minute after they shut down the set and we're like, no, we've, we've literally been pulled from the air. Like, they just stopped the show at 23 minutes in. Imagine, like, there are times when you're, when you, your show is like, can't you find it? Your show's canceled. You're like, oh, we just got canceled. But to have it like so fucking instantaneous, like, could you imagine if your show 23 minutes in, they just walked in and we're like, that's it. That's it. Yeah, I've never had. You guys are live. You well, guys are live. We're not live live. We're we pre-record. We, oh, tape like, live. Live to tape. So, yeah. But. Yeah, if you were watching the show, so because this is what they would have been as well. They would have been like done it to tape, and then so they're at home, and they, for, maybe Doug's having a party at his house. You know, he's like, yeah. "I've got a TV special up. I've invited some friends around. We'll have some drinks. We'll watch some yeah, camels rooting. That's right. It's going to be a good yeah. fun night, right?" And then, 
halfway just through. goes off. <laughs> End of transmission. And you're like, <laughs> what is happening? You're like, well, funny thing, Kerry Packer was at dinner. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Pops, another show. What is it, Now and Away? Is that the one? What was the one Charlie was on? Home and Away. Home and uh, Now and Away doesn't make sense. That would be like if you just didn't understand time and places. No, now, it's Now and Away. And Away. <laughs> Hang on. They're, they're two different things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's when you're either you're either in right yeah. now or the or you're away. You're away. It makes sense. It's a time <laughs> it's a time place. We're playing with time and place. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess it is a fear, you know, that idea that I'm, I mean, I guess even when you're doing Australia's sexiest home videos, I, I imagine a lot of time and effort and creativity and all those sort of things goes into it. You know, that there will be people who worked on that show who genuinely believe that it was an entertaining hour of television. Well, but the, but the interesting thing is like for the host, well, it would be like a few. Yeah. So if all of a sudden this happened to you, well, there's a party that's like, well, that was really terrible. But the other party was like, ah, you know, I just go back to my my other career, which is going great, and I do that. You know, there's no... For the guys who are writers on the show and other people like that, maybe right. it was their big break. But almost everyone's like, yeah, I got another thing lined up. So it's such a weird thing that when something gets canceled everyone's got like a different level so there's probably someone in tears that are like i knew this was the, my i was gonna pay off my house and this is a job i've had in a year and i can't own a, and he's just like i bet oh, this everything be talk about on the radio i bet everything on australia's sexiest time videos <laughs> was, i rolled the dice i said i'm all in i walked away from another job i said this is my ticket to the top this is the one this is my baby yeah, honey, I mean, honey, I'm quitting my regular job because you know what? You know, how I always laugh when we go past paddocks and they're like <laughs> sheep having sex. Well, what if we do that to the big screen? I'm the guy who's always getting the dogs to fuck. I finally figured out how to do it. It's my thing. I love it. And now I'm living my dream on television. It's going to be on television watching dogs. Fuck. I love my life. I love my life so much. Well, I imagine it would have all been sound effects too because it was like a spin-off of Funniest Home Video. So it would have been like you oh, wouldn't have been yeah. getting ASMR, you know, donkey fucking sounds or anything like that. It would have been would like have boing. Been, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that sort of stuff. <laughs> Shagunga. What was that? <laughs> I mean, this does sound good. I can understand how they bought the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> but what if it was what if it actually like, was so two... the donkey fucking the goat and then you hear Maruga <laughs> you know what this is pretty good <laughs> oh. <laughs> wait my device just no that's right um, oh my god the fucking now I want to see it but it would be so much better if, if, if they came on and there were two camels and they were just like Oh. oh, yeah, right. If they put, oh yeah, they they redub it with oh. human fucking sounds. Yeah, so it's yeah. animals human fucking, actual. but with actual human fucking sounds. So you then kind of like it really fucks with your mind because it sounds like really horny, and like your brain triggers you like, oh, that does actually sound pretty horny. And then you look at the screen, and it's like a caterpillar going down on a moth, and you're like, I don't know, is this making you making me hurt? It makes me feel really weird. It's, I'm so confused right now. There's two pigs going at it, and all I hear is, yeah. Oh, baby, that's it. That's the spot. Oh, my God. I think, I think we just pitched the best show on television. People would watch this. <laughs> but we but we want to take the original Australia's Naughty Sound videos. This is the conceit. Yes. We're not just going to get any random animals fucking. We want That's the right. original tapes of Australia's sexiest home videos. We take out the comical sound effects that they have put in and we redub them with really sexy sound effects. Absolutely. A hundred percent. That's the show. Australia's horniest home videos. <laughs> if... If someone found the tape and we're like, we're going to play this on Channel 9 
on Friday night, and we're gonna we're gonna redo it and talk about it. It would probably it would probably get high ratings. Now, oh, absolutely. Oh, a retrospective. Oh, where yeah. are they now? You know, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they get all the living all the animals back. D- and they, all the animals are dead, except maybe a parrot or something like that. <laughs> that's it. They have the cast and crew of people who worked on it, plus any surviving animals, <laughs> all in one studio. It's this old gray monkey. It was a good time. <laughs> He's just there with a the heart on. I love that show. Now, you ever fucked a macaw? <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> Ah, now I have something to pitch in Australia. Now I have an idea I can take out. Okay, so Australia. Um, you're meant to be coming to Australia for the, the dollop down under. You guys seem to be fucking it up, though. Yeah. It's not looking... It's, it's It looks bad from where I am. It looks, it looks like a bad time with the, the India variant and the India variant plus. Um, it looks like a bad time to just be kind of not really locking it all down from where I'm sitting. Well, I mean, come on. We're 3% vaccinated, so... Oh, well, then I take it all back. That's the that's the threshold. Once you hit yeah. 3.5%, you're golden. That's fine. That's what they say the magic number for herd immunity is, 3.5%. <laughs> so... That's right. Almost there. It's fine. <laughs> I don't know really what's a- gone wrong with it other than the rollout and the fact that our government keeps undermining the efficacies of the vaccines that they're distributing. But other than that, I think it's been going fine. <laughs> You guys waited, didn't you guys wait too long to buy it, right? And then you bought the one that's not as effective. Is that what happened? It's almost as if they said, we can save some money back in the day. And as long as we're right, there'll be no long-term financial consequences of it. Or we could just buy all of them now and, you know, wear the cost because everything doesn't have to be constantly shut down again because we still have a lockdown elimination strategy in this country, which has been great for the last year, year and a half. But... Obviously, with vaccines available, I mean, I've got. By the time people hear this, like they will know one way or the other how it happened. But when we're talking, um, I'm about a week and a couple of days out from. I meant to have a Saturday night show in Sydney at the Enmore, and then I meant to have two Sunday night shows in Brisbane. So at the stage we're talking, I can't see there's any way I'm going to be able to do both of those shows. I don't think Brisbane, Queensland are probably not going to let me into Queensland to do those shows if I go and do right. the shows in Sydney. Right, but. The Sydney shows. In Sydney, I don't how do you know if do they, that? How do you do that? Like in a city where they're shutting things down, they might do it with masks, maybe, but then you're like, I'm doing an improv show. I can't do an improv show if everyone's wearing a mask. It's just impossible no. for me to talk to people in the audience and know what's uh, going on if I can't see their you faces. Can't. You can't and, at all. And so, anyway, by the time people hear this, they'll know whether all the shows got cancelled or some yeah. of them got cancelled. But it does... As the rest of the world is now getting back to things because people are getting vaccinated enough, the fact that Australia has so royally fucked up this vaccination rollout is becoming increasingly apparent. It's really amazing watching it because it's very it's very simple what you should have done. And the only reason not to do it is money, like you said. But anybody coming into the country should have to be vaccinated. Yeah. But they're letting people come in and stay in hotels, which... As if it's not airborne, as if it's not in aerosol form going into the hotel. But also as if it's not the only way it's got into our country for the last 18 months. Like literally every single case of fucking COVID that we've had in this country has come through hotel quarantine because we eliminated it otherwise in the community. So it would always be some driver who was driving someone from the airport or some pilot or they caught it in a hotel because they didn't understand it properly. It's literally the only way that COVID has pretty much come into the country for fucking a year. And yet somehow that's the bit of it they still haven't nailed. (laughs) Because, again, it costs so much fucking money to deal with it when it's airborne. It's not like they all want to act like it's like, oh, you just wipe stuff down and you do a deep cleaning. Mm. It's airborne. It's costly and they don't want to deal with the cost. But the end result could be just a complete shutdown of the country. And then that turns out really expensive. That is is really costly, it turns out. Yeah, it turns out if you try to skimp on this kind of thing, it could really, really blow up. It's not that great. All I'm saying is 
you know what I'm I know what I'm going to lose you know next weekend if my shows don't go ahead I'm happy to chip in for a couple of extra air purifiers <laughs> <laughs> what do you need I'll carve you off a little bit of my sold out show if I can do it <laughs> yeah it's uh, and then you uh, how, how big is your percentage of uh, the right wingers who are like it's not a big deal COVID doesn't hurt you it's like a cold do you have a lot of those yeah there's a lot of those but also there's been a lot of um, they're definitely in the minority a very noisy yeah. minority but there's now the governments are all completely losing confidence because people are at the point where they're seeing the rest of the world open up and they're like there's a lot of people going, well, the rest of the world's opening up. We need to open up. And you're just like, yeah, but the rest of the world are g- getting vaccinated enough to open yeah. up. We're like, we can't do that unless we're vaccinated or whether we don't, or we don't have COVID in the community. They're, they're our two choices at the moment. So yeah. I think most people are still, but I think there's, I mean, incredible frustration. Like if you're the government, yeah. you've just got to think like we're going to have to really cut. I just don't understand how it just in a political sense, they don't think this would absolutely ruin them if they continue to fuck it up in the way that they fucked it up. I would just be throwing, like, there's no amount of money that I wouldn't be throwing at this problem, like, to solve it politically. Do you think that they are, <clears throat> like, Trump, not that crazy, but a, a a lesser Trump that they're just like, it's not that bad, it won't hit us because we're smarter or like is there an australian exceptionalism sort of thing going on here where they're like well we're australian so we'll take care of this and we'll be i think that we were lulled into a false sense of security by the fact that it didn't affect us in the same way as it affected the rest of the world and also this is a government that loves shutting the borders you know, like Scott Morrison's got a little trophy in his office that's he like it's, a, it's of a boat. This is true, by the way. Oh God! He has like this little trophy, like of a boat, and it says underneath it, "I stopped these." What an absolute cunt! What an absolute! The prime minister of our country in his office has a trophy of a boat, and underneath it, like a trophy. So I stopped these. So. Like a trophy he's given himself. I've given myself a trophy for <laughs> stopping boats from stopping helpless refugees from trying to find a new fucking life in our country. Where's my trophy? I'm going to make myself a trophy and I'm going to put it in my prime minister's office. So, look, I don't know. He might be not the best at his job and maybe that's just part of it. There's Maybe it's not malicious. Maybe it's just incompetence. But I think that... Part of it was, yes, there's been some vaccine hesitancy in Australia. I think that Australia, because there wasn't COVID in the community, were like, there was, we went from a year and a half ago where people were saying it's going to take two years minimum for like there to be a vaccine and then like it'll take a year at least for the vaccine to roll out. The best scientists in the world got together. Like remarkably, instead of coming up with a vaccine, we've come up with like four or five different vaccines that are working to you know, different levels. But a year and a half ago, if you'd said you can take any of these, the risks are pretty low that anything's going to happen to you unless you're in really specific medical categories. And they all have kind of a 70 plus success rate, like varying yeah. from like 70 to 85. You just go, well, give me whatever one of those yeah, right now. Give me one of them. I'll jab yeah. it in my own eye. Don't worry about it. And they're like, yeah. you don't have to do it in your eye. I'll do it in my eye. No, it's going to happen in the I eye. Believe in it. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, no, not the eye. We're not doing the eye. No, I'm doing the eye. Let's go all the way. It'll, that'll take it up to 85% at least. <laughs> exactly. So Australia went a bit vaccine shopping. You know, I think that uh, like there was people in the community who were like, I'm going to wait for this one. I'm going to wait for this one. Yeah. And, you, and that... So there was this real thing where the government said it's not a race, which is the most ridiculous thing because absolutely 100% the thing that it should be is a race. 100%. Like the best thing you can do is get people vaccinated as quickly as possible so you can get herd immunity as quickly as possible and you can deal with the variants as quickly as possible. And the prime minister of the country said, hey, guys, I just want to remind you, it's not a race. Like that's like... (laughs) That's like the guy with the gun at the 100 metres at the Olympics, like just before he fires off the gun, just saying to all the athletes, I just want you all to remember, it's not not a race. It's just good that you're here. Fucking idiot. It's just amazing how dumb our leaders are. (laughs) 
I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing because it is literally a race. I mean, it's a race for life. The variants aren't out there going, "Hey, how should we? How should we get milder?" They're not. They're not running around the world going, "Hey, let's do this less." They're getting worse. So you are literally in a race because it gets more and more viral, like easier and easier to spread. And that's you know what the Indian Indian one is. It's a fucking nightmare. And yes, yeah, so you were actually in a race. Absolutely 100% in a race. It is the opposite of what the man in charge said. <laughs> and so I'm, start, I'm starting to suspect that they, that may be part of the issue. <laughs> that the that person might who's definitely. in charge of it is absolutely the least qualified person to be in charge of it all. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, he's a real fucking dummy. Uh, he's a real amazing dummy. But look, in my town, uh, let me pull this up right here. Uh, population over 12, 77% have been, have gotten one dose and 67.8% have been fully vaccinated. And that's in my town. Like I can look up any like little area in California. Um, so you're right. I mean, you're gonna, I can't believe you're at 3%. You're going to hit a, you're going to hit a period and it's close to it now. I mean, America's. Look, we're going to have we're going to have COVID in places like Mississippi and Florida, where there's where there's collections of idiots who are not getting vaccinated because they don't believe it's real. The Indian variant is going to come and it's going to wipe out, and like it's going to fuck up a lot of towns and stuff. But in my town, like we're just going to live our life. So there's going to be this weird thing. I know it's a different type of Indian, but I like the symmetry and the idea that the Indian variant might come to America and wipe out. A lot Indian. of their population. Like, I mean, I feel like there would be at least some sort of symmetry there. <laughs> it is retribution. It is that is pretty good. I didn't think about that, but that's really great. Let's, do, yeah, do, taking it back. <laughs> yeah. This is a disease that Charles Manson stole from the Beatles. So we're stealing it back. <laughs> and I, I actually don't know why this happened, but on. On our reservations, they, they through whatever sort of policies or whatever treaties that are set up, they were able to get tons of the vaccine, and they started vaccinating people outside of the reservation. They're like, let's just get this out to everybody, not just in the reservation, but outside the reservation. So the, the Native Americans were the first people that were, like, exporting the virus to other people. Not the virus, the uh, the vaccine. They were vaccinated. I mean, but it would have. Yeah, I mean, they, that, that's a different podcast. That's when you're on Alex Jones. <laughs> Sorry, I slipped into my Jones brain. I gotta. I always forget what show I'm on. Uh, uh, Will so, Anderson show or uh, Jones? Well, I mean, it would not be unusual for an American comedian to be friendly with uh, with Alex Jones. So this is God. This is something. It's such a weird something, which is. That Alex Jones, who you just would imagine in any rational world, is somebody who only is in Alex Jones' world. You know, that people, Alex Jones has his audience and they mm -hmm. watch and listen to Alex Jones. But in all other parts of like mainstream society, like association with Alex Jones should be poison to you. And yet... Yeah. In our very own community, there are members of it, very popular members of it, who are like friends with Alex Jones. Yeah. I was just thinking the other day. I'm starting to think that comedy is not full of perfect people. <laughs> I haven't come to a full conclusion on it, but I'm gathering a little evidence. Well, I was just thinking today, like the comedy community is not, it's never going to be the same. And it's, it's been blown up and it's not really a community, community anymore. It's, a, it's, it's factions. Like, to me, it doesn't feel like a community. You know, we'll see when you start going back out there and seeing people, but it definitely feels pretty fractured and blown up and weird. Well, it's probably the only way it could go, right? It got too big. That's what's going to happen. Like, sure. Even, like, in Australia, there was definitely used to be something you would consider the comedy community. And now I think there's more like state-by-state -state comedy communities. But within those communities, there's a whole bunch of 
internal sort of groups and communities as well. You can start to yeah. see, you know, th- these people work with these people and they do their own thing and there's some crossover and pollination, but it's there. America was so big. There's so many comedians. There's so many stand-up comedians, you know, there's, but there's all sorts of different comedy. There was already subgroups and genres and things within it, but I think COVID has really separated a lot of people physically out into their own groups. Yeah, for sure. It's really, yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's, and then, and then Trump also Trump between those two things. It's really oh, and, and like me too. And like, you know, cancel culture yeah. or yeah, whatever yeah, you want yeah. to call it. You know, the, yeah. the people who are now the, the outlaws, the untouched. Yeah. yeah. That's their own group as well. Yeah. The me too thing is a trip because, you know, one time all the male comedians started, I just stayed out of it all, but they started taking heat. And we're like, why weren't you calling out? these rapists and these sexual harassers. And I thought about it and I was like, I didn't, I, I when you're a comedian, you're also super self-involved. <laughs> like that's one thing. <laughs> but I also was like, because I didn't know, I didn't know that well, that was going on. I mean, on. the thing about comedy is that you sometimes cross other people's paths, but the majority of what you do isn't what yeah. people think it is where there's like eight of you on a lineup. Like, I, I mean, I've been doing some touring myself and because of COVID and whatever, I'm not even using an opener at the moment. So the majority mm-hmm. of my stand-up existence, like if those other people who are within my industry, they are somewhere else on that night because you're right. there that night. Like you're right. really running into these people. So it doesn't have that same thing where we all go to a comedy office and you can see it. Sometimes you would hear things like you all yes. would just like somebody would have a bad reputation or... But I think that also... We weren't really told that our it was our responsibility. Like, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, the girls have a list of guys that they, you know, don't want to get stuck mm-hmm. alone with at the comedy club. But we're not CC'd in on that list and it's not our responsibility to care about that list. Whereas I think now we understand that it is absolutely 100% our responsibility to sort of have our own list and to not, like, you know, be chummy with people who are, like, don't, don't buy our friendships or whatever associations with people who are bad news kind of yeah. make the make those other people feel alienated by that. So I get it now and I get how like we probably didn't do enough. Well, we didn't do enough. Um, I think a lot of the time it was ignorance, but right. ignorance well, is not, not <clears throat> ignorance is not enough of an excuse. Like sometimes ignorance was willful. It was willful ignorance. You're just like, sure. I don't want to know what that dude's up to. Gee, I see that dude with like a lot of yeah, you know, no, you're talking, young yeah. looking girls or whatever, but like I, I'm sure they're that's all fine. Like I'm, you know, like it wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. Like it's something I think I think about it a lot. But there's all these guys like Chris D'Elia and um, uh, what's his name, Colin, and like all these guys that when I heard it, I was like, "Fuck, really?" Like Chris D'Elia, I guess I didn't care about because I've never liked Chris D'Elia. I've always kept him at arm's length. But like other guys I'd hear about, like uh, Brian Callen, I'd be like. Oh, okay. No, I guess that does. I guess that does fit with his personality type and the guy that I knew. But also, to me, he was just like, "Oh, there's that jockey guy who's funny and nice to me, and whatever else." And so it's very, it's very strange when when you're like, "Oh, okay, I know it now, but I didn't know it then." And I'm as shocked as you are, and I'm happy to call him out. You know, I'm happy to if a guy's being accused of shit, and I go, "Oh, there's a okay, that makes sense." Then I'll. I'm happy to do it, you know, but I mean, sometimes it's because if people are genuinely engaging in terrible behavior too, they don't do it as publicly. Right. Like no, they, they don't. For an opportunity where there's not eyes on them to. Well, they're, pre- they're predators. They know, they know how to do it at the right time because they are fucking predators. And so, yeah. yeah, so they don't, they're not the kind of guys that would joke around and be, there were a couple of guys when I was in San Francisco who would joke around and be really fucking creep. And I'd be like, okay, well, you're, you're your rape jokes are a little too rape jokey. Uh, they're a little way too on the fucking nose, but yeah, not, but not most, enough jokey and a bit too real. Like it's yeah, good like, to be honest on stage and share your own <laughs> truth. But I feel like your truth is real dark and ugly. Yeah. It's I don't not think good. You should be sharing it. And I also don't think you should be believing it. No, I'm calling the police actually after you're set, yeah. but yeah, but, but it's just, it's such a, it's such a weird for comedy. It's a very odd it's, it'll be a very it'll be a very interesting thing to go back into. Well, I think the most interesting thing about it, and this is like the thing that is, I mean, like I get 
I think we all understand that there's a greater responsibility to just make it a safe working environment for everyone involved in it. But yeah. The the more interesting thing, well, no, not more interesting, just an interesting thing, a thing that is interesting to me is that those people haven't gone away. Right. And they haven't been reintegrated into society having learned some sort of lesson. It's become right. its own industry. Like, in some ways, yeah. it, they go, well, this is my career now. I'm, you know, I'm on the cancelled comedy tour. I'm right. On the, you know, you can't say that comedy tour. I'm, you know... I'm provocative, you know, like, you know, this is my hook now. I'm the guy who says things that no one else can say. I'm politically incorrect and I don't care. And there is clearly an audience there for that. And then that becomes its own subculture. And I think if there is no integration between that culture and the rest of society, then that, I don't know, I, I just fear that that sort of stuff ends up in eventually becoming like a problem. It, it definitely becomes a problem. I mean, like I know guys who are friends with those guys who did, who went all in on it. And I was like, well, why are you going all in on that? Like, why are you everyone? Everyone thinks this guy is this. It fits in with his personality type. We've all seen him maybe with women that are too young and been like, nah, that's not great. And and now you're doing a podcast or you've started some sort of tour with them or whatever. And now I'm like, well, what's your fucking deal? Like now you are associated. That's your world because you've fucking chosen it. And our worlds are never coming in contact. Like I'm going to have nothing to do with you again. But that's that's a choice a lot of people made. And it is going to be a problem. What are they? What's going to happen when those guys want to be cast on a TV show or do a stand-up special where it's like six comics in an hour. Like, what What does that become? We're all going back into it. It's going to be really weird. <laughs> that's. I mean, that's, I guess, what it is. Like, is we're all going back into it. Yeah. And I think that there's been a lot of everybody... I think there's going to be a lot of bold statements. So... Yeah. I feel like... Bo Burnham's inside. Yeah, like I loved it, regardless of what people think of it. I absolutely fucking loved it. Thought it was fucking amazing. Like blew my fucking head off, to be honest. But regardless, it, it felt like a bomb throw. Like, you know, everyone's got a reaction to it in the same way as everyone's had a reaction to Nanette sort of thing. That's what it felt yeah. like. You know, yeah. regardless of whether you think this is a comedy special, whether you think it's funny, whether you think it's good, whether you want to discuss the conceit behind it versus the reality of it, like all these sort of but it's creating all this like discussion and it feels to me like it that's just a bomb thrown from that area from that corner and then there's going to be a bomb thrown from the you know yeah. Joe Rogan outsiders and there's going to be a bomb thrown from the alt scene and there's going to be a bomb like it feels like there's just going to be all these like you know game of thrones shit you know what i mean yeah 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 i think you're absolutely right i think it's only yeah i think it's only we've only had just the start of it because everyone got to do it in the privacy of their own homes and on their own zooms and in their own podcast but people are going to start co-mingling now like you know yeah, yeah go to the comedy store that's like that's going to be like the ultimate sort of mixing ground for all these types because the comedy store has never shied away from those people they've been sort of fine with it and uh i don't know what that does because there's a lot of comics that i really respect who go there and and uh, and it's a weird mix, right? Like, and, and they were so the store is a good example because those sort of names that you know, yeah, they were on the provocative ish side, but part of the reemergence of the store was on the back of some of those people becoming stars. You know, yeah. Rogan and those guys regularly going there, and the guys that came with him and went because he was there, and we're in his world, like all were becoming better known names, and that was really. But you know, you've also got Mark Maron going down there, and people yeah. like that. Like you've got like a mixed lineup there. Great, yeah, but really good comics. And then some of those guys take a, a further step away into a different world. But, yeah, are still going to be there at the comedy store as well. Yeah. And then it makes it, yeah, it's, I mean, I, it's fascinating. I will say this. Like, I think that, I think what it is, is we've taken away, I always say to people, if you want to see what I thought, I'm a professional stand-up comedian. And if you want to see what I thought my show was going to be, you have to come on the first night of the show. Uh -huh. And because that is the only night when the show is 
100% what I thought the show was going to be. Right. On the next night, it has been changed by the audience. And often, like, you know, during a Melbourne run or whatever, I'll have people come at the start and at the end to see how wrong I was on the first night. <laughs> because, you know, the show finds itself. <laughs> yeah. And, but the audience is part of that process. We've had a year, and I think this is why Bo's show got me, but it was made without an audience. He never put it in front of an audience and tested out. Right. Which well, that's what I... Laugh. Right. It's that, that's version. what I said to Gareth. Gareth was like going out to tour and headlining. And I was like, how do you know it works? Right. Like you, you're doing a new hour, but you've just been doing it online. It's a very crazy sort of weird thing. But what I think it means is that we probably all as individual artists, like maybe you won't see that sort of where every, because when we're doing gigs together, particularly if you're a crew of people doing gigs together all the time, you are absolutely 100% influenced by the people that you're working yes. with. Yes. But we've taken everybody, that's why sometimes there'll be like a reference that goes around a scene. Everybody will be talking about an infinite number of monkeys or avocados yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever it is. Like yeah. there's just like, it's sort of everybody's got a joke about clowns and you're like, yeah. where did that come from? But there's just, we're all working together and there's something in the zeitgeist. But everyone's been separated out. Everyone's had more time to lean into their own instincts without the audience influencing what those decisions are. And then we're going to take that back to the audiences i wonder if i wonder how much we're going to take the audiences with us or how much they're going to drag us back to where they are yeah it's interesting yeah. though yeah that is really interesting i mean the couple of sets i've done i've been like the audience is not what i expected i think they're more open to hear stuff than i thought they would be which i was surprised by but yeah you don't you really no one knows what this is going to be <laughs> And and it'll be so no weird. No one if, knows. No one knows. It's just when you say it out loud, it, there is a bit of you that's like, "What? Oh God, that's too much of I an mean, idea." But I think you're right. Like I don't know. I absolutely s- don't know. Especially America. Like America, you guys have had your version of this, but America will never be the same again. It is going to be a completely different country for right. good or bad. And even on, on like a societal level, level, just basic things, people aren't going back to work because they had a bunch of time where they didn't work and they went, man, I have been treated like shit. It's like when you're in a relationship and it's bad, but you don't know how bad it is until you go, you're like, oh, I got to work in Perth for a month. And then you're in Perth for a month and you're like, oh, fuck, man, I feel so much better. Oh, it's the relationship I'm in. And so all these people have stopped working because they're like, well, fuck this. I've been treated like shit and, and paid nothing. And now I'm living with my parents. And guess what? It's fucking better than having my own apartment and working at Target and having a guy yell at me and having to work on Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's better to not make any money and have the people are all it, it's a quality of life thing. And everyone's experienced it in different ways. And now everyone's going back out and, and, and that's all seeping into audiences. Like everything, everybody's experienced throughout the pandemic and people had good ones, people had bad ones. You know, you could talk about the kids in Finn's class, like 25% did awful, 25% flourished because they weren't being bullied because they weren't right. having a problem being the only black kid in class. Cause they just so many fucking reasons. The, the teacher couldn't you know be a dick to them in person like there were there are all these people have had completely different experiences and now their life is like where we've always had like a slope like you go through a slope of things people have traumatic incidents but we all had a traumatic incidents at once we all went into solitary confinement in a prison for a year at the same time and now we're all walking out of solitary like blinking at the fucking light going oh god jesus and when none of us are going to get the individual attention that we need, because none. if you were 32 men coming out of a cave, like a, you know, in a mining explosion or something yeah. like that, then all 32 of you would get like, you know, all this like psychological help. You would get these uh-huh. structures put in place for your reemergence into society after this traumatic event you've experienced. But because we've all experienced it. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, make your own plans. Let's just see what happens. That's one thing that people don't understand. Uh, my wife's a therapist and therapists are 
burned out. They have been annihilated by COVID because they had to now think about you and what you went through as COVID during your lockdowns and whatever. And now, and now think about having to do that, but listen to eight people a day, tell you how bad they feel about their own COVID experience. So they had like, no, they didn't have breaks. They didn't have, how am I doing time? How is my family doing time? They were, it was just a relentless slog through other people's pain. All our mental health professionals are fucking fried, totally fried. So that's but also good. having to deal with a s- scenario that they're not trained for. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I imagine that other elements of their training, you know, kick in and they are able to, you know, use examples of other things and research around other things to yeah. assume, make some assumptions. But this is not something that anyone's really been through, you know, in our lifetimes and in the circumstances that we live in. So there is no clinical data that they can rely on to say this is how you treat people this is how it will affect people and it would have been so much a case-by-case basis as you know of how people did react to it so suddenly you've also got a topsy-turvy world like you know people who ordinarily liked you know were kind of shunned from society because they were shut-ins and were happy in their own company and staying at home they're like oh you know what it's a real light off my life i'm happy i was set up for this i didn't have to change anything this is really <laughs> for me <laughs> now i just don't have to get anxious about not going to that party i've got an excuse this is great no no i don't even need my session next week give it to one of the people who's gone like you know he's been locked in give it to one of those guys she said the people who had anxiety issues did the best because they were just like, yeah, this is. And people who had OCD were just like, yeah, man, this is uh, this is what I've always done. So this is fine. And now I get to actually stay in my apartment. It's all good. Like, yeah, totally different levels of like what this is. I mean, even from someone like, you know, Amy, who expects the worst, you yeah. know, like sees the world for the dumpster fire that it often yeah. is. Like it just reinforces your worldview. You're like, but yeah, they do take it a bit more in their stride because they're like, yeah, this is what I see every day. Like, <laughs> wake up, dude. Like, this is. <laughs> I told you. Yeah. Yeah. There's a line in uh, Bo Burnham's, uh, in one of his songs in his special where he goes, uh, you tell me like, it's something along the lines of, you know, um, you say the world is ending, honey, it already did. And I think that that's like what Amy's mindset. Like when yeah. you go, this terrible thing happened. She was like, it already happened. This is what, this is you're, you're finally, you've, you've taken the right pill. You're finally seeing what I've been seeing the whole time. Yeah. We think alike, me and Amy. You really do. Yeah, we do. We do. Same, same, same yeah. We've got a lot of same stuff going on. Yeah, for yeah, sure. it'd be a good uh, psychological study. In fact, um, you know, one for your wife to do in her spare time for, <laughs> for fun, for a fun project. She can she can work out what it says about me, how much you know, I enjoy spending time with the two of you. <laughs> there must be, like, you're so alike that it definitely says something about me. That's yeah, it really say. does. Yeah, it certainly does. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Uh, Dave, thank you very much for doing this. Of course, the dollop uh, down under. Hopefully, those shows are going to go ahead and everything is going to be fine by the time you guys are doing that. But you have got uh, shows on sale all around Australia Uh and, of course, in New Zealand as well. Yep, yep. And some uh, popping up here and there in America that we're we're planning. We've got one in Denver in September. Oh, nice. We're doing some of America. It'll be interesting. Uh, do you want to sign out for us, please? Yeah. Uh, fo. Oh, is it Fo? Are we calling this? What are we calling this? Yeah. Where is Fo? Fo offended for Fo ever. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs>